0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It. Finishing out our series on how to build a business, I get to talk to my friend Brad Williams about client relationships. We start at the beginning with finding a client and how hard that's become. We talk about the proposal process, and we touch on things like having a discovery phase. It's a very valuable conversation for people who are in the client services field. We'll get into that and more. But first, a word from our sponsors. This season of How I Built It is brought to you by two fantastic sponsors. The first is Liquid Web. If you're running a membership site, an online course, or even a real estate site on WordPress, you've likely already discovered many hosts that have optimized their platforms for a logged out experience, where they cache everything. Sites on their hardware are great for your sales and landing pages, but struggle when your users start logging in. At that point, your site is as slow as if you were on $3 hosting. Liquidweb built their managed WordPress platform optimized for sites that want speed and performance, regardless of whether a customer is logged in or logged out. Trust me on this, I've tried it out and it's fast. Seriously fast. Now, with their single site plan, Liquid Web is a no-brainer for anyone whose site is actually part of their business and not just a site promoting their business. Check out the rest of the features on their platform by visiting them at buildpodcast.net slash liquidweb. That's buildpodcast.net slash liquidweb. It's also brought to you by Jilt, Jilt is the easiest way to recover abandoned shopping carts on WooCommerce, Easy Digital Downloads, and Shopify. Your e-commerce clients could be leaving literally thousands of dollars on the table, and here's why. 70% of all shopping carts are abandoned prior to checkout. Yes, you heard that right. 70% of shoppers never make it to checkout. And that's why you need to introduce your clients to Jilt. Jilt uses proven recovery tactics to rescue that lost revenue. It's an easy win that lets you boost your client's revenue by as much as 15%, and it only takes 15 minutes of your time to set up. Jilt fully integrates with WooCommerce, Edd, and Shopify, and you can completely customize the recovery emails that Jilt sends to match your client's branding using its powerful drag-and-drop editor, or by digging into the HTML and CSS. Even better, Jilt's fair pricing means your clients pay only for the customers they actually engage, and you get to earn a cut of that through Jilt's partner program. Whether you have clients that process one sale per month or 10,000 sales per month, be the hero and help them supercharge their revenue with Jilt. Check them out at buildpodcast.net slash Jilt. That's buildpodcast.net slash J-I-L-T. And now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asked, how did you build that? Today, I have a good friend of mine on the show, uh, Brad Williams of Web Dev Studios. Brad, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, buddy. I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Well, as we record this, we're in the throes of football season, so I'm just okay. I'm sure you're a lot better than me, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm kind of average. The Raiders are doing... Oh, uh, yeah. yeah they right. That's right. I would say they're doing okay. I don't think the Giants are doing okay. The Giants but, uh,
0: are not doing okay. Uh, we'll they're being very charitable because they gave the 49ers their first win, which is nice of them. That was yeah, right?
1: Absolutely. So,
0: I actually, I forgot that you're a, a Raiders fan and not an Eagles fan.
1: Yeah, so the Eagles are doing pretty good, but I'm a Raiders fan in Philly, yeah. so you can imagine. So Christmas is going to be fun because the Raiders are coming to Philly. Oh, nice. Are so, you going to the game? I don't know. It's still up in the air. The family's not super excited about it uh, on christmas day (laughs) because it's christmas day so hopefully we'll see
0: cool maybe that'll be a nice christmas gift uh and this is this is coming out after that game so we're not dropping any hints for anybody in the meantime but why don't we uh well why don't we get started with uh why don't you tell everybody who you are and, and what you do
1: sure so as you said, my name is Brad Williams. I co-founded a company called Web Dev Studios about ten years ago, and we are a uh, WordPress development and design agency. And we specialize in WordPress at scale, WordPress and the enterprise, really building large WordPress-powered websites. WordPress is the only platform we work on, so we're truly experts at it, which is awesome. And we work with some really great clients, so it's been a lot of fun. From you know, starting on a coffee table to growing our business over the years, growing with WordPress and working with some some amazing clients and some amazing brands. So Awesome. That is what we do.
0: Awesome. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, right? Usually on the show, we talk about a specific product, but this is kind of in the middle of a business strategy series where we're actually going to talk more about pitching a client and forming a new client relationship, right? Which is something that you have quite a bit of experience with.
1: The pitch, man, like it's uh, you ever watch Mad Men? Like the the old ad agencies and they'd pitch in the sixties. Yeah, it's nothing like that. (laughs) Although that makes it look really cool, right? Uh, I guess other than smoking fifty packs of cigarettes (laughs) a day, but uh, and maybe the day drinking isn't as cool now. But uh, yeah, pretty much the opposite of that. So you can imagine we're so one kind of caveat is we are a hundred percent remote company distributed. So we're all over the United States. Uh, there's 33 of us at the company. So that's, um, I think it's important to kind of note that just in, in terms of how we, you know, how clients find us and how we kind of get in front of clients in a, uh, a pitch or a proposal situation. So we're not just, you know, an agency that's located in Philadelphia with offices here. I'm in Philly, but we're literally all over the United States.
0: Yeah. And that, and that absolutely does make a, a big difference, right? Because you can't you know, you don't have the situation where you can just get in a room with uh, your team and like really hash things out.
1: Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has, I like to say it has a unique set of challenges. All business has different challenges. Uh, some, some same, some different and, and across all industries. Right. But so being remote is just another, another challenge. And I think there's definitely some pros and cons to it. I don't think it's, it's better well, I, I shouldn't say that. I do think it's better than, than kind of the traditional approach. I think there are more pros than cons. And the big reason for us early on was just to find talent. You know, we started out in the Jersey Shore area. If you're not totally familiar, there's not, you know, outside of summer, there's not a ton of people around there. So finding developers or designers that were local that could come into an office was, you know, next to impossible so we had to, we were kind of forced into it, right? So we had to look outside of our area a little bit towards New York, towards Philadelphia, towards Baltimore. And we quickly realized, you know, why worry about the location? Let's worry about the talent. Let's go after the talent. And, you know, from that day forward, we just hired based off the talent, regardless of where you lived and it's, it's worked very well well for us. So.
0: Nice. And, and you've definitely compiled a Huge team, both current and alums of very talented people. I've had the fortune of, the good fortune of working with some of them after they were either before or after they left Web Dev Studios. So you certainly have been able to find good talent.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I mentioned it earlier. I feel like you know, Web Dev really grew with WordPress. Right when we first started using WordPress, it was very much a blog platform. It was kind of one option that we looked at. Against a number of other options in terms of how we should build a website, and you know, as WordPress matured, so did our company, and so did our clients, and in the, the size and type of websites that we were building. So, once it really became more of a, a true CMS, you know, we were we were using it full time for everything, and you know, the larger companies were starting to look at WordPress as a viable option, and now it's 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 a bit of a no brainer for for most companies that WordPress is a great option certainly one they should be looking at and you know it's funny to think back that that wasn't always the case you know we had to, the first few years of the company we had to sell people on wordpress you know we had to really sell them on it and now it's like they find us because they know they want it and they want to work with a company that specializes in it so
0: yeah absolutely and and you know let's start to really parse that out because you know a lot of at least when i was freelancing i always thought man how do how do you get like the next big client or how do you even approach and enterprise, right? So why don't we start with how do people find you now? Is it basically like through your form or do you, you know, what, what do you do to kind of put yourself out there?
1: So it's a good question. And one that people ask me a lot, how do people find you? Right. So the majority of people find us uh, via search or they've heard of us either via, you know, like a WordCamp speaking or our various contributions to WordPress. You know, we're pretty active with our content strategy, social media, and we get good, sol- you know, good search traffic because of all those things, right? So, we also have some books we've written. Maybe you've heard of them. Pro- you know, Professional WordPress is the series that I uh, was a co-author on. Uh, Lisa Saban Wilson, my partner, has been writing all of the WordPress for Dummies books for like I don't know forever. She's done all of them. So, if it's got WordPress and Dummies in the title, she wrote it <laughs> or was a major part of it. So, um, that helps, right? That helps just kind of validate that we know what we're doing. Um, Especially earlier on when not as many people knew who we were. So uh, we also get a lot of another big stream of uh, kind of referrals from, you know, either existing clients or friends in the industry or just friends in general. People refer, you know, people to us. We're a larger, you know, quote unquote, larger company in the space you know, so people look at us and say, you're large. It's like, well, we're really not like in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. We're, we're a very small company, but in the WordPress world, we are considered a bit on the larger size right. being 30 plus people. So, you know, we're friends, you know, I'm friends, you know, our company teams across the board are friends with a number of freelancers and smaller agencies and, and boutique shops as, as Maderos would say, <laughs> where, yeah, you know what I'm talking uh, about. Yeah. So, you know, uh, <laughs> so a larger client comes in the door and they know like, yeah, this is this is bigger than than what we can do. Right. This is bigger than what we can support. Let me send you to a company that, you know, is better suited for the size of a, a project or the size of an engagement. So we get a number of those referrals. So that is all, all of that kind of combined is where the majority of our, our leads come in. Now, we have been a little more proactive in the past year or so about more outbound being more kind of proactive rather than waiting for leads just to walk in the door, be a little more proactive in, in our marketing strategy and kind of getting out in front of the type of clients we want to be in. That's, it's kind of a new area for us. We haven't had to do that as much in the past, but we're trying to be a little more proactive in that front. So that's kind of a newer area that we're starting to dabble in. But yeah, that's, that kind of sums up how the, how the clients come in the door.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, I feel like the, the general sentiment right now in the WordPress space, especially is. There's been a lot of success with, uh, you know, I, I I say this all the time, the field of dreams approach, right? If if I build it, they will come. I think there's been a lot of success in the WordPress space up until recently. And, and now I think we're seeing a lot more of, of people kind of having to put together a marketing strategy and be more outbound. As, as you yep. say, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely been a shift where, you know, it's not as, yeah, the, I like that. I like that analogy, the field of dreams approach. Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, we just sit back and the number of leads that would come in the door was ridiculous. Like we just couldn't even like spend as much time as we'd even want to on them. Or we just had to refer them out because we were too busy responding to others. Like it was, it was crazy. And, and I think we're a bit naive and assuming, Oh, it'll always be like this. And that's not the case, you know? And I think a lot of that comes with the maturity of WordPress. And I think there's a number of factors and I don't think it's all WordPress. I know it's not all WordPress because I talked to other friends in the tech industry that aren't WordPress at all. And they've seen a downtick, you know, in the past year or so of leads and and kind of new engagements and work coming in the door. So I think it's, it's, it's wider than WordPress, but obviously we're in the WordPress space, the WordPress bubble. So that's what we talk about and that's what we're looking at. So, yeah, I think it's opened our eyes. You know, people need to be, we need to be a little more proactive. We need to try just a few different things. It's not always going to be just everybody walking in the door and, you know, doing these massive projects and, you know, craziness like that. So. And it's also, again, I, I keep going back to the maturity of the community and WordPress itself. I think it's just inevitable. You know, WordPress has been around for over, what, 12, 13 years mm-hmm. now, something like yeah. that. It's growing up. And so are all the companies around it. And we're growing up with it. So um, it's just uh, kind of the nature of the beast, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. We've talked about on the show um, development practices have been maturing over the last few years. You know, we talk about uh, like automated testing and other things like that that have been in other. Software project spaces before this, but we're finally getting to a place in the WordPress community where that is becoming the normal thing. So when you do have a potential client, right? You have a or a, a potential project. What's the first thing you do? You know, it's I, I know bigger companies have RFPs, requests for proposals. Uh, do you go through that process, or or you know, what's it look like? Let's say a client, a potential client, fills out a form on your website. What's your next step?
1: Yeah. So. RFPs are interesting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think there's there's like very, very distinct two sides of thought around RFPs. <laughs> one is don't ever touch them. Right. They're a waste of time. And the other one is, you know, respond to every single one of them and eventually something will happen. You know, we've kind of gone back and forth on that. I, my general rule with RFPs is unless it's like an opportunity we just don't want to miss out on, like unless it's some brand that just really stands out like, oh, we want to work with them, you know what I mean? We generally will not respond unless we have a bit of an inside track, meaning we know someone within the company gotcha. or someone that can kind of, you know, we have a better sense of we might be in the short, you know, the short running, not not to say we're, you know, trying to cheat the system or get around the RFP process, but to say it's more than just an anonymous company responding to, you know, this document that you blasted out to you know, who knows how many different agencies. Right, so, absolutely.
0: And, and I mean, filling out an RFP, if you do it right, takes a lot of time, right? And It
1: takes a lot yeah, of time, so. yeah. Because, I mean, RFPs are very generally very specific. Right. This is our goals. This is our current situation. These are, you know, the areas we expect to be accomplished by these dates. This is how you will respond. This is what we expect. Mm-hmm. And you have three days, you know, right. like it's it's always, <laughs> or, or the date's already passed. It's right. like, what? So, you know, it's always... <laughs> it's crazy because you have to, if you're going to respond to an RFP, you, you have to follow it to a T. It's the first test. Right. You know, can they listen to instruction? Can, if they ask you for four references, don't give them three. You know, right. don't give them five. Give them you four.
0: Exactly four. Yeah.
1: It is the first test, right? So you have to follow it to a T and it is a lengthy process. So you have to know going in RFP, you're going to spend some time up front. You're going to spend a, an investment to respond right. if, you, if you do it correctly. So generally speaking, we don't respond to RFPs unless it's, again, an awesome brand that we really want to just, you know, just have our name in the uh, shot or, you know, we have a little bit more insider information and have maybe a connection or, a you know, someone within the company that we can work a little bit closer with. So now the majority of the leads we get in the door aren't RFPs. They generally have a, you know, here's kind of a, a spec doc or here's a general overview of what we're looking for. Can you give us a, a quote? What's it going to cost, right? That's the number one question. What's it going to cost? Right. And those are my favorite articles. I think you might have written some of these too. Like, how much does it cost to build a website?
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, (laughs) that was popular, I think, because you guys shared that out like one day and that that got a lot of traffic. (laughs) So I appreciate that. (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's like, it's funny because most of those blog posts, I'm always like, oh, okay, I'll skim it. I always go to the bottom because it always... (laughs) summarizes with well it depends right yeah it depends like that, right like which is you know spoiler alert that's how mine ends too <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. yeah it depends it's just like any if you go to any agency any web development design shop and you go to how much is it going to cost well it depends like almost they almost will never give you a price right you know and it's it's and that's because i always equate it's like we're building a house that's like coming to me as a house builder saying how much to build a house right Right. Well, it depends what kind of house do you want, you know, how big of a house, how many rooms do we, is there a garage, you know, like there's just a million questions to understand, you know, how much that house is going to build or how much are going to cost or how much that website is going to cost. So, so yeah, lead comes to the door. You know, the first thing we do is we want to hop on a call and really get to, I like to hear the first question I always ask is tell me about your project. Tell me about your goals. I want to hear it from you in your own words. I know the documents and emails probably say that, but I like to hear it from them you know, and you can get a lot from that, right? You can understand not just the specific goals that they've written out on paper, but you can, you can hear a little bit of the emotion behind it. You can understand a little bit more about if they're having some struggles, if it's, you know, our website is just a terrible experience and we can't work on it and everyone's frustrated and they're all coming to me and like, you can get that or, or maybe it's a new initiative and it's, it's a new hire at the company and they're just super excited and engaged. Like you can just sit back and listen and, and listen to them explain to you what their goals for the project are, what they're looking to accomplish and then start digging into some of the specifics. And I've always felt like that's a really good way to kind of kick off those conversations, you know, plus, yeah. you know, again, going back to being remote, we're generally not sitting across from a cha- table. We're generally on a phone call. Sometimes we do videos, sometimes we don't, but we're just like we are right now. We're talking. Right. So I also want to get to to know the person a little bit. I want them to get to know me. I want, I want it to be a, a friendly and fun conversation you know, joke around a little bit, start to build a rapport. Cause at the end of the day, you're both kind of interview interviewing each other, right? Are they a good fit for you? And are you a good fit for them? Yes. It's great to make money, but you know, do you want to make money at the expense of working with a terrible person right. <laughs> that is going to like treat you and your team? Like, you know, you're inferior and I'm paying you and you work for me and you do as I say, and that's that, like, do you want to, you know, and some people might be like, sure, but most of us are probably like, no, we want to work with good people that, you know, we want to partner. We're, we're not just a client, you know, relationship here. We need to be a partner, an extension of the company. So I'd like to try to, you know, look for those things when I'm on that call and try to figure that out early if there's some concerns here or not.
0: Hey everybody, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Checkout for WooCommerce. Checkout for WooCommerce replaces your WooCommerce checkout page with a beautiful, responsive, and conversion optimized design that works with every theme. If you're not optimizing your checkout page, you could be losing 30% of your customers. Checkout for WooCommerce makes it easy to provide your customers with a fantastic checkout experience. You can try Checkout for WooCommerce free for seven days by going to buildpodcast.net slash CWC. That's buildpodcast.net slash CWC. Use the promo code BUILT for 10% off your purchase. Nice. That's, that's fantastic. I love that for, I mean, a few reasons, right? Because you're not just relying on the words that they sent to you, which are probably more calculated, right? You have their, you know, that's the pitch that they practice. But when you ask them in on a phone call or a video call, you know, you're, you're getting what's on the top of their mind, right? They're not reading the script that they wrote. So exactly. and, And like you said, it is it is a relationship. You're interviewing each other. I think that a lot of people tend to take it a little bit too personally if they don't get a job you know if they're not hired by a client i used to take it personally all the time but
1: i still do sometimes it's <laughs> <tough>. <laughs> gotta, yeah right i don't yeah. think you ever get over that if, completely if, right
0: especially but. if it's someone you really want to work with
1: but oh man
0: but you know i mean somewhere along the line it was decided that you guys wouldn't be a good fit and and i try to think it, it's for the best even though sometimes it might suck
1: yeah i mean that's how you have to look at it it is business at the end of the day you know and, and there's got to be some that just burn you a little more than others. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some, you might breathe a sigh of relief. Like, you know what? <laughs> I'm actually kind of glad we <laughs> getting, didn't get that. Cause the more we understood, the the more we realized it's, it might not be the best project in the world. So yeah, I mean, you kind of got to, you know, brush it off, try to learn what you can from it, if anything. So you can, you know, use that for the next, you know, uh, discussion or pitch and move forward. I mean, you know, so yeah, it's at the end of the day, it's sales, right? And you know, I wouldn't consider myself like, I I could never be like a door-to-door salesman. That would be an impossible job for me, right? That just, I couldn't sell sell cars. I'm not just, I'm not that type of person, but I can, I'm very passionate and excited about the web and websites. So I'm less trying to hard sell people and more trying to understand their goals and speak to how we can help accomplish those goals. And the direct result is essentially I'm selling you know the person on Web Dev Studios and our solutions and what we can give to them, and that's kind of how I look at it because I'm just not I, I'm not a salesman. I could never be a salesman, right? Ever. So yeah. I just speak to my passions, which indirectly help us bring in sales. You know, so I've, I've found a way to make it work. You know, over the years and 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 it seems to work well. And I think clients, you know, and 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 the people we speak with and our partners really really respect that because they, you know, I I I I think most of them, anyways get that. They understand that passion. They they hear it and they see it. And really anytime you can work with someone that is passionate about what they're doing. And I I I preach this to the team and and, and the people we're interviewing and hiring, you know, anytime you can work with someone that's passionate, it's gonna be reflected in their work across the board because they actually care. You know, it's not just a uh you know making a quick buck and, and sending you on your way as quickly and cheaply as possible. Like they care that the end product is something that they want to be proud of. They want you to be proud of. They want to be successful. And that's that's how I try to approach it. And that's, you know, how Web Desk Studios approaches it and how we kind of preach internally about, you know, we're we're partners with our clients. It's not just, you know, a client relationship. We're we're an extension of their team and we want them to know that from the start.
0: Nice. That's that's absolutely fantastic. Because it's a good relationship is definitely the the very the foundation, right, that a good project is built on along with understanding the project, right? So you have that initial call. It's time for you to build out the proposal. Are you doing other research after the call to see exactly what they need and and what they're about and how you would do it? How deep do you get into implementation during the proposal process?
1: Yeah, and this is a tricky one, right? Because there is a number of different ways to go about this. You could spend a lot of time up front, like really understanding every... Minute detail of the house you're building, right? Quote unquote mm-hmm. house, the website, every little specification upfront in the proposal. The challenge with that is, again, is the upfront time and investment, right? And, you know, we used to do that. We used to spend 20, 30, 40, 50 hours upfront and realized over time that it wasn't it, the the upfront investment for us was not paying off in the long run. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't getting enough clients to justify. Doing that over and over. So, what we did is we found a a happy medium of really uh, understanding the project from more of a high level, right? So, understanding if it's a a fresh rebuild, you know, is there a design phase? Yes. Okay. How many mock ups do we need to do here? We're going to do five. And these are the five pages, you know, really high level. We're not getting down to specifics of what are in those mock ups. Now, we are talking about features and functionality, you know, if there's any integrations with third party services any APIs any you know special widgets or modules that we want to discuss so we understand so from a high level do you need a calendar are you accepting payment are there subscriptions are you selling products you know that type of stuff right. and then we architect a proposal around that again that high level plan and we're we're pretty good about kind of taking those high level overview and and putting, you know, real dollars against it based on, you know, level of effort that we know from past experience, you know, from past projects and what that looks like. You know, the goal is we don't want to give the 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 client, you know, it's going to cost you, you know, $10,000 to build your website and then we get in there and realize, oh, this is actually going to cost you like 20. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible situation and one that you never want to find yourself in. Right. Because it's bad for you. It's bad for the client. It sours a relationship. It's just bad. And and you make those mistakes early on when you underbid. I think everybody does when they first start. I think my first website was like a couple hundred dollars. Right. And I'm yeah. sure we've all we've all done those. And we look back like, wow, they got a good deal, you know, <laughs> um, or maybe not if you look at that code 10, 15 years ago. But it, yeah. <laughs> so maybe I got we got a good to do deal. It. I
0: got paid to learn.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but so we've gotten pretty good about taking our past experience, what we know about projects, what we know about you know designs and architecture and development and features and integrations, and putting together numbers around that. At that point, we're looking to kind of solidify that high level plan and get signatures. We're trying to get an agreement in place and say, "Great, we're going to move forward." The very next thing we do is what's called a detailed discovery phase, and that is that drilling down to the minute detail of the project, you know, line by line. And we put together a proposal plan, which I like to call the blueprint. You see where I'm going with these? Uh, So the blueprint of what we're (laughs) going to build, which is, you know, the exact specifications of the website, you know, it's, it's all right. If we're enhancing the search, how are we doing that? Are we using elastic, you know, elastic search? Are we using search WP? Are we doing it some other way? Like, like actually putting together the, the development plan and that, is something that takes weeks to go through for, you know, a relatively decent sized project. It's it's a number of weeks, if not longer. And the reason we're able to spend that amount of time is because we've we have a signed agreement. We have, you know, money to cover that. We have a line item in our proposal that covers that discovery time. So we can sit there with the client over the course of a bunch of phone calls or or screen shares or in-person meetings and hash this out. And that approach has worked very well for us. So when we're done with that discovery phase, we have a detailed plan. We go back and forth with the client on revisions, and we get that thing as flawless as we can. And then we have them sign off on it. And that is the build plan. We now have our blueprint and we're ready to move forward into development.
0: Nice. And that is the investment for the client is obviously we're going to give you something that at the end of the discovery phase, we deeply understand. So you're not going to get hit with One and a half or two times what we originally quoted you, right?
1: Exactly, and that's and we make sure you know if we quote you a twenty thousand dollar project build, we make sure the discussions and decisions within the discovery phase are in line with the budget. So Mm -hmm. we don't want to say, "Hey, we could do this, 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 and this," and then we include it and realize, "Oh yeah, by the way, that's going to cost you an extra five grand." Right. Right. We want to say, "Hey, there are other options, however, they would probably be beyond the budget we set." Do you want to discuss those, knowing that it will be? In a you know, an increase in cost. We, right. we let them make that decision. If they say, great, let's go ahead and talk about it so we know what that cost would look like. And then we'll decide if we want to include that. Okay, so we'll figure it out, put the details around that and add it as a line item. Hey, if you want this, it's going to cost X. It's over and above what we originally quoted. But we make sure it's part of that conversation because you just we just want to be as transparent as possible. We don't want to surprise you know, our clients with an unexpected cost because it just, that will always end badly. So just keep it part of the conversation. Keep that total in your mind. You know, oh, we have X amount for mock-ups. This is all we have. If you need a, if you pay for five and you need an extra mock-up, okay, we can do one. And here's the cost if you want one more mock-up, but it's outside of that initial, you know, estimate. So again, that's worked well. So by the time we get done with that discovery phase, nine times out of 10, we're lined up with the, with the, uh, the initial cost we gave them and away we go.
0: Nice. And so now, as you move forward, right, so we've talked about the contact, the initial phone call, the proposal, and then the discovery phase, essentially. Mm -hmm. During the build phase, what happens if, because there's a million things that could blow a project's budget, right? Either you misquoted, which it sounds like you do have a safeguard in place For a lot of the times the discovery phase, or maybe the client turn it turns out the client doesn't actually know, despite the discovery phase, what they needed. How do you kind of mitigate that? You know, it's it's like, okay, we're approaching we're approaching our budget. We're definitely gonna go over how do we properly communicate that to the client without torching the relationship.
1: Yeah, that that never happens, right? Ever. No, never. Nothing Everything's ever.
0: always under budget. I mean, that's how. I yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, there's a couple, uh, a couple scenarios here. I think one is if something new is introduced. You know that, and that never happens, right? So yeah. something comes to light that we didn't know about, or the you know the client, you know, there's some feature that needs to be rebuilt on their old site that was not you know a part of discovery. So we have a change a change order process basically where when something like that comes up we identify it we have a call and a discussion very basically a little mini discovery okay let's understand what we're looking at here let us put together a plan of what it's going to take to to, to you know execute whatever it is you're requesting and we'll put together a cost and say okay it's essentially a change order it's a very minor usually a one page you know add on to the to the original uh, contract and it just says we're going to do all this for you it's outside of the original agreement but we're going to do all this stuff it's going to potentially maybe adjust the the timeline maybe if it does affect the timeline so we have that in there you know timelines being pushed an extra week and it's going to cost you x dollars and if you want to do this sign here and we'll get it in the schedule so that's that's usually pretty cut and dry as long as it's clearly out of scope the other the other scenario which is a bit trickier is when you know you kind of committed to something and as you dig in, you realize it's it's more complicated or bigger than you expected, right? Maybe there's some API integration you, on the right. surface that looked pretty straightforward. You get in there and realize, well, this isn't straightforward at all.
0: Right. And right. It's going
1: to take way more time. That that one's tricky because it's, you know, you kind of have to look at each each case by case basis, right? So there's no set answer. I mean, generally we'll look at it and say, okay, I always approach it as, all right, what's the impact here? Like how off are, why are we off? Is this, was it our doing or, or something unknown? If it's our doing, how, what is the impact? How off are we? How much extra time do we need? And then you have to make the decision. Is this something we approach a client with? Or is this something we just, you know, assume you know just eat the time on basically right and it's you know it's not black and white it's every project's different every client's different so you have to kind of take in all the different variables and make your decision on how you want to handle it but i always gauge it against how well the project's doing how how good you know how well we're working with the client how good the relationship is if you know obviously the nicer the client is the the more our team likes to work with them the more we want to hook them up you know yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Like there's nothing better than, than saying, Oh, we came across something and it's going to take a little bit extra time, but you know what? You're just such a great client. We want to really help you out here. You know, there's no cost to you. We're going to take care of it. You know, we got it. Now on the flip side, if the client isn't as nice, then I, you know, we're less likely to kind of go that extra mile. Right. Cause it's like, right. ah, you know, they're kind of mean to us on phone calls and they're always yelling and <laughs> I don't feel like if we want to eat this, you know what I mean? So it's just, you got to kind of, you know, Judge it based on what's going on, but it, it does happen. It always happens. So you just got to kind of assess the situation and make a decision from there.
0: And and I would imagine that that decision is probably at least partially influenced by you know are are we going to continue the relationship with our client? Right? I might be more likely to eat the cost of something if I know we're going to continue the relationship you know, over the next few years or something like
1: that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's going to be ongoing, which the majority of our clients are ongoing clients, right? We we do our initial project. We roll into kind of a support, you know, maintenance agreement. And we continue to, you know, to, to support their website, whether it's updates or backups or, you know, minor development things. Maybe it's full-blown rolling out new sections, you know, phase two, phase three type projects. But the, yeah, the majority of the stuff, if you, if you really kind of, set that great relationship with your client, you know, why would they want to go anywhere else? You know, they want to continue to, if they already built that rapport with you and your company, why go find some other company to work with? They're going to stick with you. And that's, that's the most important part is to keep that relationship, you know, as healthy as possible and to keep that client as healthy as possible, because, you know, a one-off project could turn into, you know, quadruple the amount of, of overall, you know, money from that client over the course of two or three years of them doing support, you know, and some random work here and there. So it's super important to keep that, you know, client retention as as much as you can.
0: Nice. Absolutely. And we're, we're coming up on time here. I'm thinking maybe I could steal a a few more extra minutes from my Patreon subscribers if you uh, don't mind. Sure. But uh, for kind of to put a nice bow on this conversation, we've talked about basically everything except the development phase. So what kind of, you've won the job, you've, you've won, uh, you've won them over with the discovery and, uh, you're, you're ready to launch when in that process, do you try to hit them with, uh, a, a retainer or when do you try to secure a continued relationship? Right. Cause t- I feel like timing is probably very important there, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. So our initial proposal has information about ongoing support, you know, mm-hmm. post-launch support, and maintenance and some options there. We bring it up initially with zero intention of getting a commitment at the beginning. And, you know, sometimes they want it because they need to get everything in the budget all at once. Great. There's the information. Here's the cost. We bring it up initially just so the seeds kind of planted. Right. And and you're right. Timing is a thing. And over the years, we weren't good at this early on. We were terrible about it. In fact, like we would launch a site and we're on to the next one and we would have no follow-up conversation and, and (laughs) then they're gone. Right. So we, you know, years ago we were like, we got to get better at this. So, Generally speaking, we start to bring up that conversation around QA. So we'll do our overall development, you know, whatever, however many weeks, four, six, eight, 16 weeks, whatever, that's full-blown development. Then we go into an internal QA phase, you know, it could last a week or two, maybe longer depending on the size. And that's where we're doing internal QA, cross-browser testing, functionality testing, load audits, you know, all that performance, all that good stuff internally. Then we hand it off to the client to the to do their QA. And every client's a little different in how they do QA. Some some have QA departments, some have, you know, one person that's gonna poke around, some don't even look at it. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> generally right around the time where we're doing our QA, we approach the subject and say, Hey, you know, we're coming up on, you know, your QA period. And after QA is done, we're talking about launching. So we'd like to start the conversation pre-launch, at least initially, and then we'd like to try to dedicate a call post launch with the stakeholders and to really go through the options our our support is really kind of configurable based on the client needs so we want to sit down and understand what kind of support they're looking for you know how involved or not involved they want us to be ongoing some want more support some are completely hands off you know they want us to do everything including you know minor content changes and little adjustments that they could make but they just they don't want to they want to have a company that that does it and they don't have to think about it to other companies where they have a internal development team that we basically hand it off to them and then we're done, you know, and they support it. So we kind of have those conversations or craft that, that support plan based on their needs. Generally it's either going to be right, you know, a week or two pre-launch to start those conversations, but post-launch is where you really get into the meat of it because the problem is pre-launch, you know, they're, they're focused on pre-launch, right? They're focused on what's coming in the next few weeks. So it's good to kind of, again, plant that seed, but not get too too deep into it, and then try to set a call about a week or so post-launch, at least for us, that's how we do it. And then you know we go through the options.
0: Gotcha. And I mean, that makes sense too, right? Because a week post-launch, you're probably coming up on your post-launch, the end of your post-launch support contract or whatever. And now the client really is starting to think about stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. It's a good time to do it. The You know, about a week after the dust has settled from the launch, mm-hmm. usually. If your launch went smoothly, I uh, would hope so. So it, it's a good time. The dust settled a little bit. You know, it's you know, like you said, you're starting to wind down the post-launch stuff and start talking about what that ongoing engagement looks like.
0: Gotcha. That's fantastic. So, well, Brad, thank you so much for your time. I've got uh, one more question that I'm going to combine. It's like two questions I'm going to combine into one. Okay. And that is what's one thing that you uh, want to improve on your process moving forward, and uh, maybe based on that, do you have any trade secrets for us?
1: All right, two combined trade secrets. What one thing I uh, I'll hit that one first. One thing I've I've learned being remote communication is like critical, right? With the team, you know, and with our clients, it's just that much more important because we're not face to face, we're not in the same room, we're not in the same building, we're not even in the same state, mostly. <laughs> So one thing I've learned is while communication is definitely key, some things that are often overlooked are having more one-on-one conversations with your team. So about a year ago, I started having one-on-ones with my management team. So my project managers, any uh, directors, as well as our lead developers. And that is anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes where it's just me and them. And we have video and we chat and it doesn't have to be like a rundown of current projects or active statuses. It can be if that's what's on their mind and they have concerns or whatever, but it doesn't have to be that. It's just time to get some face time. So one-on-one and when we were smaller and younger, it was a given because I was working with everybody every day. But as we got larger, that wasn't the case. And, and many times while I'm still talking to, you know, our PMs and our leads very, very often I'm doing it in group settings. You know, I'm not doing it where it's like a one on one where you're going to get much more open and honest conversations. And that's really, you know, in my mind, really, I think, helped the relationship between the executives, myself and Lisa and our leads and our PMs. I think it's helped the health of the company because we just have better open communication. So it may not be the biggest trade secret, but it's one I learned, I think, a little bit late is that 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 kind of one on one time, even with a smaller team, just having set aside time to interact face to face, just you and that other person, you know, at least once a month is super valuable and you will all you will learn so much. And that's that's been great. So that's a bit of a trade secret and you know, one that I, I'm sure people do, but if you're not, you should try it because you will learn stuff and it will it'll be great.
0: Awesome. And what was the other
1: question? <laughs> that was a uh, What's one what
0: <laughs> what is one thing that you want to try to improve upon with this process in the future?
1: Uh, okay. So our process, it probably sounds like it's This flawless, I think it sounds not flawless, but this really, you know, perfected, streamlined, everything is just, you know, rainbows and unicorns. And it's not true. Like there's always room for improvement. There's always room to make things better. One of the things that we always struggle with is keeping our process documented and current, right? So it's one thing to have a process. It's another thing to have it like documented in a way that you and your entire team can understand it. That's one thing we've struggled with. Because we get it documented and then a year goes by and we've made all these adjustments, but we haven't updated any of the documentation because it's like the <laughs> most thankless job in the world working right. on documentation, even documentation to, to, you know, cover your internal processes. But it's so important, not just for our team to make sure we're following every single step, every single time and staying consistent. It's important for like onboarding when we bring in, you know, new developers and new project managers who can say, this is our process, read it, learn it, understand it, live it. Because this is what we do on every project. And once it's documented, then you can really truly make sure that you follow it to a T every single time. Because I'll tell you, every, every single project that goes off the rails, I can always point to one spot where we did not follow a process. We skipped a step or we didn't do something like we're supposed to, and it hurt us, you know. So it's it's getting that process that works for you and your team and and getting it written down and then keeping it current. And that's 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 one of my goals because we have not been good at doing that. So while I feel like I ha- I know it very well, you know, we probably all have it in our heads slightly differently, so we got to make sure it's written down and it's agreed upon and everyone's on the same page. So it's that's definitely a goal we're working towards.
0: Nice. I I dig that. I'm sure me as a developer, or I as a developer, and I I know a lot of developers listen to the show, they could probably level with that, you know, they really relate to the
1: disdain of doing
0: documentation. <laughs> <That's the worst>. <laughs> <laughs> so Awesome. Well, Brad, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah,
1: thank you, man. This is a lot of fun. Glad to be on the show.
0: Thanks again to Brad for being on the show. I love talking about this stuff because a good relationship with a client can be worth more than the biggest marketing budget. I think that's something that we've learned over the last three weeks. Connect with people, forge relationships. And for those non-football fans out there or those non-American football fans out there, The Eagles went on to win the Super Bowl. Brad went to the parade in Philadelphia. I waited patiently for baseball season to start. Thanks so much again to our sponsors. Make sure to check out Liquid Web for managed WordPress hosting. I use them for all of my important sites. They are that good. They're over at buildpodcast.net slash liquid. They'll give you 50% off your first two months just for being a listener. If you want to save your client or yourself money, Through recovered cart abandonment, check out Jilt. I worked with their customer service and customer support over the last week and they have been excellent. Just another reason to go with them. They're over at buildpodcast.net slash jilt. And finally, if you want to put the cherry on top of this e-commerce trifecta, there's Checkout for WooCommerce. If Jilt brings the people back who leave, Checkout for WooCommerce is the tool that prevents them from leaving in the first place. I use it and I love it. And you, can get ten percent off using the code Build at buildpodcast.net/cwc. For all of the show notes, head over to howibuilt.it/73. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It helps people discover us. And if you want to check out the other part of this conversation with Brad, head over to Patreon.com slash How I Built It. It's really, really great. That's it for this, this season mini-series, I guess, on how to build a business. What did you think? Let me know over at Jay Casabona on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining me, and until next time... Get out there and build something.